Hello and welcome to the October 18th edition of Eye on the Triangle. I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. This week we have a great show for you today. Mason Morris has covered the folks downtown trying to occupy Raleigh. Nick and Jay got the inside scoop on the NC State band. Jake Lengua has prepared a, creation, uh, a creative piece about his, the changing of the seasons. DJ Serenade, Kligs, Riff Raff, and Riff Raff report from Shikori Hills. And we will also have sports, weather, and an exciting look at the, <laughs> the English Soccer Premier League. Uh, all this is coming right up, but uh, first let's go to our very own Kitty Costa for weather. Well, Chris, we have been seeing unseasonably warm temperatures in the 80s the past couple of days, and this temperature roller coaster continues since we do have a strong low pressure system expected to move in this evening and in tomorrow morning, which will cool things down and cause a significant amount of rainfall over the next 24 hours. This evening, expect a low of 65 degrees, and be sure to take your umbrella with you if planning on heading out, since you'll be seeing quite a bit of rain. Tomorrow will be cooler, but still warm, with highs around 77 degrees and cloudy skies. Now, rain is likely to continue throughout the day tomorrow, and we do have a chance of afternoon thunderstorms, so be sure to put on your rain boots before heading out the door tomorrow. Now, some of these storms could become strong to severe, so be sure to stay tuned for any weather updates. Rain will begin to taper off by tomorrow evening, and Wednesday night will be significantly cooler with lows dropping to a chilly 47 degrees. So be sure to have a warm jacket with you before heading out tomorrow night. Now, by Thursday, the rain will be out of here, and we will have beautiful sunny weather to look forward to Thursday through the weekend. Expect sunny skies with highs in the 60s and lows in the 40s for the remainder of the week and weekend. This weekend, we are going to be seeing beautiful sunny weather, so it's the perfect weekend to get outside and enjoy some of the foliage taking place across the state. So, Chris, I don't know about you, but I am ready for it to start feeling like fall again and for it to actually stay this way instead of this up-and-down temperature trend we keep on having. I don't know how to feel. I was, it was, I was high, and then I was low. Exactly. That's humid how it's been feeling. and dry. All right. Well, anyway, uh, we're going to move right along now. Uh, Jake... Or rather, Jay and uh, Nick went out and got the inside scoop on the NC State Band. The NC State Marching Band, otherwise known as the Power Sound of the South, is a force to be reckoned with on campus. With practice routines that can be heard across campus, the band plays an important role in school spirit. We sat down with the director, Dr. Paul Garcia, to find out a bit more about the marching band. I am Dr. Paul Garcia, director of bands at North Carolina State University. I conduct the NC State Marching Band, Basketball Pep Bands, the Wind Ensemble Concert Band, and I also teach percussion lessons for music minors. So what does the marching band do? What kind of events are they involved in? What's their main function on campus? The main function for the marching band on campus is probably more than people might think. Besides actually supporting the football team, basketball teams, that type of thing, another part of what we do is actually foster greater community involvement at NC State. When the marching band goes out on campus and performs for pep rallies, it draws people to the pep rallies. It helps fire people up. When the NCC marching band performs for other community services, like when President Obama was here speaking, the NCC marching band showed up and we played a, a very big instrumental role in getting the crowd involved and keeping them involved up until President Obama spoke. So I think it's not just the idea of we're a spirit group, but we're actually an organization that represents the students and faculty and staff of NC State. We're the public face of the university. So it's not just here on campus, but we also have an impact off of campus, whether it be large audiences that we play for at games, whether it be for audiences that we play for when we do parades in the city or we do other outreach engagements um, off campus. I think it's one of those things where we represent the NC State community. So what does the band do 
to prepare for the various responsibilities that they have. The, the main preparation that we do is during marching band rehearsals on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. We just rehearse from 340 to 520-ish. And that's our main rehearsal time to get everything done. Before classes start for about a week, we start our band camp, and that's when we actually get quite a bit of the things established that we need to that'll get us through the year. Otherwise, most of the situations that we go into are fluid situations. So if we're doing a pep rally type of thing, or if we've been asked to play for a Boys and Girls Club breakfast, or you know perform for the president, any of those things, all of the stuff that we've done to prepare for that, we've actually established during band camp and during the early part of the season. Then it's up to our leadership to help make sure that the students know what's going on. So we disseminate the information as quickly as possible, and then students know where they need to be, when they need to be there, and what they need to have in order to be prepared to perform. Okay. So in your opinion, what is it that makes the band so great? Well, I mean, honestly, it's very simple. It's the people involved, whether it be student staff. We have some fantastic people to work with. But realistically, it's all of us collectively. I think it's just a fantastic thing to have so many people come together and want to work hard to make the group the best possible. And so I think it's a true testament to our students and our staff. The band is known as the Power Sound of the South. In your opinion, what does that name mean? When I first came to NC State nine years ago, that was a name that the director, even before me, inherited. And so I think not everyone was really sure what it necessarily meant. But I think as we've been going along, I think we've been establishing the fact that the Power Sound of the South doesn't just have to do with the overall sound of the band in terms of volume. It has to do with a mindset now. People know when they hear the power sound of the South, I think more and more people are starting to associate it with an outstanding marching band, with the excellence that's put forth by the students. So it's becoming more and more so a state of mind rather than just a state of being powerful, but it's actually what images come along now with that label. During your tenure here, has the fans' reaction to the band changed? And if so, how? I honestly think there has been. Once upon a time, the band was not looked upon very favorably. But I think the band's fortunes were very much tied to the team's fortunes. If the team wasn't good, the band wasn't good. And it, it took time, I think, for the fans to start recognizing the band as a separate entity. And instead, it got to be the point where the band stands on its own. And the band functions on its own merit. And th that took time. I mean, granted, the, the growth in the band has had a lot to do with that, I think. I'd like to think that the music that we play is a wide variety, it's energetic, it gets the fans involved, and I think we've just made ourselves an important part of the game day activities, not just here at NC State, but even if we travel, other bands, they like having us there. I mean, the, the Wake Forest group welcomed us, they loved having us there, um, and I, the Virginia group has already said they're looking forward to having us there, and Florida State's already welcomed us. So I think it's just one of those things where you're, we're developing that reputation that people know who we are just coming in the door. And it's taken us time to get to that point, but I think we're finally getting there. So over the years, the band has continued to grow in number. Do you think there should be a limit to the size of the band? The band right now is right around 320 members. The year before I took over as director of bands, there were 193 in the marching band. So that's pretty significant growth over a five, six-year period. The largest number I can see the band getting to right now is about 350. And the reason for that cap is just facility-wise, we could not handle more than that. I think budget-wise, I don't think we could handle more than that. And even seating in the stadium in Carter-Finley, that's the max that we can probably put in our section. 
But when you think about it, 350, that's yeah, a pretty good sized marching band. Not everybody needs to be the 450 member, you know, marching chiefs at Florida State. I think with 350, we'll be plenty strong and everyone will know we're there. What do you think is the next step to help the band gain recognition and even maybe become nationally recognized? I think the next steps for the marching band, besides working hard to be the best that we can on a day in and day out basis, I think it gets to the point where you have to start going out and doing things nationally and internationally. That could be, you know, performances at a Macy's parade, a Tournament of Roses parade. It could be a performance at a presidential inauguration in Washington, D.C. You know, something high profile like that, in addition to doing things like the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Dublin, Ireland, or continuing to maybe get some type of performances like we were asked to perform for President Obama, you get national recognition, and that starts putting your group out into the public eye And if the group's performing at a high level, people will recognize that, and that starts creating more of a buzz around the program, and that's exactly what we want. All right. Do you have any final thoughts you would like to add? You know, there's a lot of moving parts that go into the marching band, and I think some people have the perception that the band just shows up and they do what they do. And that's good. That's what we want them to see. We want people to believe that that's all there is to it. The reality is that there's a lot of work that the students and staff put into the marching band. There's countless hours that get put into the marching band. And I guess I just want people to have a greater appreciation for what it is that all the students and the staff do. You know, the students do this for one credit hour. It's one of those where they do it for the love of music. They do it for the love of the university. They do it for various reasons. But they don't have to do it. They don't have to be there. They don't have to show up week in and week out and good or bad our students are there i mean we've had some pretty rough seasons in football the last few years i mean last year was a fantastic year but other years have been a little rough here and there and the band has still grown the students have still shown up the students in the marching band have still done their best to support the athletic teams to support nc state in the best way possible so continue to be appreciative of the students who do all of the stuff that they do because they really don't have to But they love NC State and they love making music, and hopefully that continues well into the future. Thank you very much for your time. On a side note, as members of the marching band, we'd like to thank Dr. Garcia for helping with the success of the band. And for helping to make it a great experience. Hi on the Triangle. I'm Jay Tomblin. And I'm Nick Savage. Shakori Hills is a biannual grassroots festival that takes place in the beautiful Silk Hope, North Carolina in Chatham County. Even with its close proximity to the triangle, going to Shakori is like entering another world full of music, crafts, and a relaxing environment. The Fall Shakori Hills Grassroots Festival took place on October 6th through the 9th, and some of WKNC's staff had the opportunity to partake in this year's fun. Sarah Hager, Kate Rafferty, and Nicole Kligerman tried to capture the essence of Shakori through speaking with some of the festival goers and artists there that October weekend. I'm here with Edie Fagan. This is Serenade. And Edie, you say that you've been to Shakori quite a few times? Many, many times, spring and fall. And it's always relaxing. What's the difference to you about spring and fall shows? Uh, sometimes it rains and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good enough distinction. <laughs> what's, what's one of your favorite parts that's not music-related of Shakori? Besides 
being with my friends. There's no advertising anywhere. So when you come in, you enter a new world that you can enjoy and be free and relaxed and anything is, is you know, good and you get to be with your friends. And that's it. Festivals are a good way to hear new music because, you you know, it's like, oh, they're playing. You wouldn't buy a ticket to go see them alone because you wouldn't even know about them. And now you know about them. I have a difference between spring and fall. Yes, and what's your name? I'm Brian. Brian Taylor. Yeah. Uh, Edie brought me here about five years ago. So I, here I am, still here. So the thing is, in, in the fall, you're wearing your sandals for the last time. you got to wear your shoes again for the first time. But in the spring, you're wearing your shoes again. You're wearing the sandals for the first time. And you get to take your shoes off after the last time, ever since Shikori. You've been wearing them. <laughs> That's the difference. While strolling around the hills of Shikori, one can discover jack-o'-lanterns hanging from trees, giant puppet parades, delicious food, workshops, healing arts, drum circles by blazing fires, and twinkling lights all around. The energy of Shikori is contagious, and the atmosphere is irreplaceable. WKNC 88.1 Raleigh. This is Kate Rafferty reporting live here at Shikori Hills in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. I am over here at the kids' station and just about to get my hair wrapped by a lovely concert attendee named Mackenzie. You want to say hi, Mackenzie? Sure. Hi, I'm Mackenzie. <laughs> and how long have you been doing this, Mackenzie? Is this your first year at Shikori? That's a long time. And is this your first year doing head wraps? Uh, yeah. Hair wraps. Yeah, it's my first year doing the hair wraps, but I learned how to do it a little while ago. Your mom taught you t- tricks of the trade? No, actually, to tell you the truth, I watched a video on it when I was bored, and then it turned out to be a really good thing to do here. Oh, perfect, perfect. Well, what would you say other than doing hair apps on people is one of your favorite things to do at Shikori? Um, I like to do, um, teach workshops with my mom and with her other friends. What workshops do you do? Um, my mom's friend, Julie Wells, does children's yoga. I like to help with that. And my mom does leaf-changing wands at the kids' tent. Can you... Explain to listeners what leaf wands was, leaf-changing wands. Um, it's like the little kids mostly make them, and they're supposed to help um, all the people change the leaves different colors in the fall. Oh, and what does that represent? Uh, like the changing of the seasons? Yeah, like the, yeah, probably, just like changing stuff. Are you and your mom camping overnight? Are you going to leave at the end of the day? We have been camping and we are going to camp tonight too. Fun stuff. Well, I'm about to get my hair wrapped here with Mackenzie. This is Kate Rafferty reporting live from Shakori Hills for WKNC 88.1 Raleigh. I'm DJ Serenade and I'm here with two of Shakori Hills festival goers. Michael. And Brianna. Is this your first time here at Shakori? Yep, it's my first time. It's his first time. I think this is my seventh. What keeps you coming back? Um, it's just a great atmosphere. All the people out here are always really friendly, and everybody's willing to pitch in and help out. 
like for example I just lost my camera it was not stolen someone turned it in so it's just you know the energy is really great and the music is awesome of course and what's been your favorite part so far all the bluegrass music and all the eclectic people He'd never seen Donna the Buffalo before, so that was his first Donna experience yeah. yesterday. I want to know who Donna was. There is no Donna. <laughs> there is no one named Donna. Over 50 bands played this fall at Shakori, including national acts like Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, Donna the Buffalo, Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, in addition to local favorites such as The Old Ceremony, Hammer No More the Fingers, The Tenderfruit, and Desert. This is Serenade, and I'm here with Mark and Django of The Old Ceremony. It sounds like we're at a rave. <laughs> you, guys, you guys just performed, and it was awesome. The crowd loved it. I know it was the first show I've danced the most at so far, and you had a new track. Well, yeah, we actually did uh, two brand new ones, um, one called Fairy Tales and Other Forms of Suicide, happy little number, and uh, actually it is kind of happy, and then one called Star by Star. So, And we tried out some other ones that we hardly ever play, uh, uh, one called Biba, Arkansas, which is about the dead birds dropping from the sky. And, Real positive uh, yeah, stuff, you know. It's your basic party band. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys are no strangers to Shikori. You've been here quite a few times before. So how many times have you been here on your own and performed here? Perform maybe five, five times, times, something yeah. like that. And we come pretty much every year to hang out and yeah. Spring and fall? Uh, usually, I mean, if we can, yeah. you know, it just depends on our, our touring schedule and stuff like that. I love camping, so I've got a little spot back here in the woods that I frequent. <laughs> the Mark's Secret Spot? Yes. That's by the creek. <laughs> no one else is there. Look, look for him by the creek. <laughs> so what keeps you coming back to Shikori? Uh, well, it's a fun place to play. It's a great place to hang out. Everyone's in a good mood. How can you possibly go wrong? I agree. And then, what is your favorite song to perform live? I know that's a tough one. Usually it's one of the newer ones for me, <laughs> but just because we're not sure what's going to happen. And that the, the sense of uh, possible humiliation really heightens our, yeah. our ability to rock and roll. <laughs> and the other thing I noticed that I haven't really seen before was one of your mics that was lower had feathers on it. Yes, that actually had little to do with us. Very little to do with us. But we're considering putting feathers on everything yes. now. It's part of Shikori. It's part of Shikori. <laughs> I thought it was a nice touch. Thank you. Well, thank you, and have an awesome time of what's left for you guys at Shikori. Thanks thank a lot. You. We love KNC. Yes, indeed. On Thursday night, we were able to catch the Tenderfruit play a new song at the cabaret tent titled High Point. After their performance, Nicole Kligerman spoke with the band about their Shikori experience. This is WKNC and I am DJ Kligs here at Shikori Hills Folk Festival with Christy Smith of the Tenderfruit. Her and Patrick have just played their first Shikori Hills performance and uh, I just we just want to hear how it went. Um, super fun. And uh, it's like very colorful, like Christmas out here with all the lights. Patrick, Patrick, he just showed up. He's here. He's he's lurking. He's right. re he's ready to. He wants to be on the mic. Um, no, super fun. So we haven't been here that long. We sort of showed up and then just like played our set. 
people wandered in, very, very friendly crowd. Um, and best part, we get like free beer and food, so we're excited about that. And Sharon Jones. Yeah, Sharon Jones and Dap Kings is about to play. Patrick, are you excited? I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm going to shake my body parts in a way that it probably is not attractive, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> so you just got here, but do you know what your favorite part you think of Shakori Hills is so far? Hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, Patrick, I defer to you. I do not know. Okay. I think the enchanting enchantment. 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 Yes. I'm enchanted. Just walking around I'm here, enchanted. it's it's I'm just uh, like everybody seems to be in a good, albeit dazed mood. <laughs> and uh, there's there's a ton of Christmas lights. Yeah. It's just you can't be not be enchanted by hundreds of Christmas lights. I, I agree with everything he just said. It is just like that. It's like a little wonderland nighttime, though, walking around. Well, thank you so much, guys. Uh, your performance was great, and we're looking forward to hearing more. Thank you thank so much. You. Thank you, WKNC. We love you. This is grassroots, baby. This is I'm here in the studio with Corey Smith from Technician, uh, talking a little about sports this week. So, Corey, what's been going on? Well, first of all, uh, I guess kind of a big story would be the game versus uh, Virginia this weekend. Uh, NC State obviously had a bye week this past weekend, so hopefully they use all that time to heal up and really figure out what's going on with the defense predominantly. Uh, It seems like they've had things figured out with the running game, but defense has still been struggling and giving up a lot of yardage. And Virginia actually came off of their bye week this past weekend and went against a strong Georgia Tech team that nobody thought they had any chance to beat. And they came out there and basically shut the Georgia Tech defense or Georgia Tech offense down, uh, which has not been done very often this season. Uh, they, they've gotten basically over 400 yards each and every single game, and UVA held them to um, less than that. So it's a huge deal coming into this, and uh, hopefully the running game can keep everything figured out because UVA seems to be able to shut people down. Now, um, we're a second-half team, and we've been a second-half team for a while. Um, what do you think the pack needs to do to come in as uh, in the first half to kind of not you know, have to play with a huge deficit in the second half? Well, I, I think it honestly goes down to those two big components. Um, I mentioned that the running game has been you know, obviously working here lately. Uh, James Washington has gotten two pretty big games against uh, against two kind of inferior opponents, but um, the game against Georgia Tech, he was able to go out there and rush for over 100 yards. He was able to do the same thing against Central Michigan. Uh, I don't know why I said inferior against Georgia Tech, but they have a pretty decent defense. But, uh, you know, if, if he's able to go out there and get a ton of rushing yards in the first half, I think that'll be able to open up the passing game and should really open up things a lot for uh, Glennon and the defense. If the defense is able to shut Virginia down and, you know, they're going into Virginia, uh, this defense, you know, hasn't been able to do a lot of big things against Virginia, uh, against a lot of teams. It's given up over 400 yards each and every single game, just about, it seems like. I think the average right now is about 429 yards uh, that they're giving up. So if they're able to shut down this Virginia team in the first half and really come out there and prove that 
they can do things in the first half, I think, would be the biggest part of this. And it'll just make the second half that much easier for them. I mean, Virginia was able to shut down a Georgia Tech defense or Georgia Tech offense last week pretty much the entire game. So if that if this defense is able to come out there and shut them down and prove that it knows what it's doing after the bye week, I think things will be a lot easier for them. So who are the players to watch this week? So players to watch this week would, I mean, obviously, I, I think this is a, a really obvious one. I, you know, James Washington, if he's able to come out there and dominate this game in the first half and the second half, then he'll be a player to watch. But I think the one big player to watch in this game is going to be T.J. Graham. Uh, T.J. Graham, if he's able to come out there and basically put up the same numbers that he put it put up uh, two games ago in both the both the passing game and in uh, the return game, and come out there and just have another huge performance, um, I think this will be. Uh, I think you know they basically have everything in hand. Uh, the last person that I would honestly say is another offensive player. You know, if if uh, Tobias Palmer can come out there and be just another. Uh, another receiver on the right side of the field or on the left side of the field, whichever side he's put on, basically, if he's able to come out there and show that, you know, hey, T.J. Graham's not the only person that they're going to be passing to, I think if he's able to have a big game and Jay Smith, I think it just comes down to the secondary receivers other than T.J. Graham. If they're able to go out there and have a big game or George Bryan as a tight end, I mean, I know it seems like a lot of players to watch, but basically it comes down to these secondary receivers other than T.J. Graham. If they're able to do something out there and catch the ball, in open spaces, and I think it'll be a lot easier for T.J. Graham and Mike Lennon as a whole. Now, I know there's been a big story around Mustafa Green in the last week. Um, kind of tell us about that. Yeah, Mustafa Green, uh, he's, missed this, he's missed the first six weeks of the season, obviously, uh, and they took the bye week basically to evaluate where he was, and they've decided to, Tom O'Brien's decided to redshirt him for the season. Uh, so basically what this does is gives him his basically his sophomore season off. He's been injured with a foot injury. Uh, they don't really want to put him out there and basically risk losing him for further games for next season. And so what they're basically doing is scrapping him for the season, letting basically giving James Washington and Curtis Underwood the job. Uh, Tony Creasy's came out there and proven that he can run the ball as well. So I think they're they're stacked at that position. Now, obviously, there's not a standout guy, which I believe Mustafa Green would be. But that gives Mustafa Green plenty of time to heal up. You know, since high school, he hasn't had that year to kind of sit out and really, you know, heal up. So I think, you know, obviously he has a sophomore, his junior, and his senior season coming up. I think that'll be uh, this year being taken off will be a huge thing for him. So, well, great. Uh, Corey, as always, uh, thanks a lot for coming in and go back. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. When summer turns to fall, I always get excited for cooler temperatures and crunchy leaves underfoot. Jenk Lingua shares his own thoughts in our next piece. A curious thing happens when the seasons change around this time of year. Suddenly the sky seems bluer, the leaves are certainly more colorful, and the whole world seems to have this refreshing crispness to it, as if though after suffering through the intensity of summer, it has suddenly slowed down just a little bit. The days have grown shorter, just a little bit drier, and those light sweaters that have been gathering dust since last May once again have the chance to see the light of day. And while it may currently feel like summer isn't quite ready to let go just yet, it will eventually, like all things in life, come to a close, ushering in cooler nights and a slight chill just in time for Halloween. Growing up in South Florida, I never dealt with the cold like I do here. And as a child, I can remember dreading the end of summer, hating the cold, hating the shortening days. It was just depressing, 
Seeing all the life slowing down, watching the leaves die, and seeing the geese flying south for the impending winter that I knew was sure to follow. But something has changed. Paul has shown up, right on time, and the spooky Halloween decorations still adorn store windows, tempting shoppers to come in and peruse all the temptatious delights that lay within. The state fair is still here, inviting guests to try the latest deep-fried food in true North Carolina fashion. No, fall is still fall, the same as it has always been. As I get older, I find myself enjoying all the little nuances that appear as we get later and later into the year. I find myself looking forward to the end of summer, looking forward to the refreshing cooling of fall, because in between the humid hell of summer and the bitingly cold winds of January, there is a small window when the sky is the purest of blue, freshly fallen leaves make a satisfying crunch under your feet, and all you need is light sweater to keep you warm. As the year matures from the passionate swelters of summer into the slower nights of fall, I find that I have matured from just six months ago. College is a time of self-discovery. It is a strange chapter of life in which several thousand high schoolers are thrown onto a campus in some weird social experiment, and what is supposed to come out is a group of adults ready for the real world. But reality is hardly so simple. New friendships are made and old ones fall apart. Love is found and love is lost. Mistakes are made, goals are achieved, plans are broken, and new ones are made in what ultimately becomes as much a quest of self-discovery as it is for knowledge. College is when we are supposed to grow up, to mature, For better or for worse, with maturity comes a new appreciation for things we never could as children. Things that never mattered five years ago have suddenly become very important. Things like student loans, jobs, and 10-page essays are worries that we just didn't have. And given another five years, we will have even more concerns, like families, houses, and retirement. For now, though, it's okay to just sit back and enjoy the clear blue sky. Jake Langlois, 88.1 WKNC. And now we bring you a new segment uh, pioneered by our newsman, Matt Gardner. This is a segment all about Premier League soccer news. This week in Premier League soccer news saw the epic matchup of Manchester United against Liverpool FC. Fans of both clubs involved and morons such as myself woke up at 7.40 a.m. Saturday morning battling hangovers and a tad bit of still drunkenness to see the two Titans do battle on the pitch. Tight ball control and searing passes benefited each side, but neither could find the winning goal as the game ended in a 1-1 draw. With the first half being a bit of a bore, Liverpool captain Steven Gerrard put in a scintillating free kick in the 68th minute. It's worth noting that this was Gerrard's first appearance for Liverpool after being absent for nearly seven months due to a surgery back in the spring. A truly remarkable comeback for the Liverpool captain. Many were left scratching their heads, however, as the goal only appeared to go in because Manchester United legend Ryan Giggs broke away from the wall at the last second to let the shot in. Javier Chicharito Hernandez scored a dramatic equalizer late in the game with a well-placed header thanks to a brilliant deflection from Welbeck off Nani's corner. After the match, both teams will think they could have won this game. Manchester United drew the shorter stick in the end, though, as local rivals Manchester City inched ahead of them for first place in the league, and Liverpool should not be unhappy to have earned a draw against a top-four Manchester United side. Newcastle United continue to defy all expectations as they extend their unbeaten record with a 2-2 draw against Tottenham Hotspur. Tottenham star Gareth Bale warned Newcastle that his side was ready to exploit Newcastle's weaknesses, but Bale ultimately found himself with little space to work with as the Newcastle defense, for the most part, remained solid. Steven Taylor made an uneducated challenge at Adebayor just inside the box, earning Tottenham a penalty kick just before halftime, which Vandervaart put past Tim Krul with much aplomb. 
Newcastle came out after half looking for blood, and they soon found it with Dembamba scoring just three minutes into the new half, putting away Jonas Gutierrez's beautiful cross, bringing Ba's tally to an incredible five goals in just three games. Another poor defensive effort from Steven Taylor ended with Jermaine Defoe turning and burning a perfectly placed ball past the outstretched hands of Tim Krul. Newcastle wasn't giving up on this game, though, and their perseverance and character showed through as a well-placed flick from Johan Caballé found the feet of Shola Amiobi, who then found the inside of the far post with an absolutely magical equalizer in the 86th minute. The excitement didn't end there, though, as Newcastle captain Fabricio Colaccini almost gave Newcastle the lead in stoppage time, only to miss the ball on his first attempt at a point-blank shot and then failing to put the teammate's rebound on frame. That won't leave a sour taste in any Newcastle supporter's mouth, though, as the Geordie faithful everywhere can hold their heads high, knowing their team currently sits in fourth place, going undefeated in their first eight league games, with a matchup against a struggling Wigan Athletic at home on the horizon. In MLS news, American wonderkin Breck Shea is getting looks from major European clubs like Manchester United and Liverpool, sources say. The 21-year-old striker, who has made a couple of appearances for the U.S. men's national team, currently plays for FC Dallas and represents something that the MLS needs to hang on to, homegrown talent. They already let Dempsey and Altador go to Europe. However, times have changed, and the MLS has grown up a lot in only a few short years. I think that for the MLS to really gain traction as a marketable sport in the United States, it needs to hold on to marketable local talent like Breck Shea. And in wacky, albeit slightly disturbing, soccer news, two Bayern Munich fans were stabbed in Naples ahead of Bayern Munich's Champions League clash with Napoli. Those specific Napoli fans, identified in the soccer world as ultras, carried out the attack. Ultras are more or less the equivalent of fans of a particular team who have organized themselves into street gangs and go to extreme measures to support their clubs both during and outside of games. The attack was carried out as the Napoli Ultras rode up behind the Bayern Munich fans on scooters and then proceeded to execute the elusive drive-by knifing. The two men were stabbed in the legs, back, and buttocks, but thankfully the injuries were only minor and the Bayern Munich fans are recovering well. The perpetrators have yet to be identified by Italian police. For Eye on the Triangle Soccer News, I'm Matt Gardner. Hello, and welcome to This Week in History. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. This week in 1781, the British Army formally surrendered to George Washington after the Battle of Yorktown. Fighting between America and Britain would pick up again in the War of 1812, and after 1814, the two countries never went to war as enemies again. In 1789, John Jay was sworn in as the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. During his time in office, he helped establish the principle of judicial review, in which the Supreme Court has the ability to rule on the constitutionality of any act of Congress. In 1851, Herman Melville's classic novel Moby Dick was published under the name The Whale. In 1867, the U.S. purchased Alaska. The $7.2 million purchase from Russia added 660,000 square miles to our nation. It's basically so big that you can see Russia from there. In 1901, 63-year-old Annie Edson Taylor celebrated her birthday by being the first person to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. In 1922, the BBC was founded as a national radio broadcasting service. They introduced regular TV programs in 1934 and have since grown to have a budget of over £4 billion. In 1945, the UN was founded. Headquartered in New York City, the organization currently has 193 member countries and replaced the League of Nations proposed by Woodrow Wilson. In 1958, the Smurfs appeared for the first time. 
The blue cartoon characters gained popularity in the Hanna-Barbera television cartoon series of the 1980s. In 1973, President Richard Nixon rejected the U.S. Appeals Court's mandate to turn over the Watergate tapes. Later in the week, he gave in and turned them in anyway. In 1973, the Sydney Opera House opened. It's become an icon of Sydney and hosts over 1,500 performances and 1.2 million guests each year. That's a lot of people, Nick. It sure is, Dave. In 2003, Mother Teresa was beatified. She was known for her humanitarian efforts and advocacy for the rights of the poor and helpless. Let's do birthdays. In 1734, pioneer and hunter Daniel Boone was born. In 1869, football player and coach John Heisman was born. Jazz musician Dizzy Gillespie was born this week in 1917. In 1939, assassin of John F. Kennedy, Lee Harvey Oswald, was born. In 1950, American musician Tom Petty was born. Weird Al Yankovic, musical parodist, was born in 1959. In 1961, jazz musician Wynton Marsalis was born. In 1971, rapper Snoop Dogg was born. Ryan Reynolds, Canadian actor, was born this week in 1976. Neo. It's Neo. Yes, Neo. Neo. Yes. R&B singer Neo was born in 1982. In 1986, Canadian actor and rapper Drake was born. Well, that's all the knowledge we've got for you this week. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. Thanks for listening, and keep it historical, Raleigh. September 17th, about 1,000 people marched through the streets of New York City. They held up cardboard and posters with numerous messages, like, When the rich rob the poor, it's called business. When the poor fight back, it's called violence. Dissent is patriotic. One nation under greed. Stop corporate crime. And, of course, Occupy Wall Street. That September night, nearly 200 people slept inside cardboard boxes in Zuccotti Park, private property about one and a half blocks from Wall Street. The next day, the protesters were back, as heard in this YouTube clip from NYC Futures on Britain. This past weekend marked the fifth week straight of Wall Street's occupation and the first day of a new global movement that is quickly spreading. Members of the Occupy movement are now in over 60 major cities across the United States, including Boston, Washington, D.C., Seattle, and Los Angeles. On Saturday, the protesters began occupying Raleigh. Harrison Savage began following the Occupy movement when it started in New York City. He ended up traveling to Wall Street to participate, and when he heard that a group was forming in Raleigh, he got involved early. Collective nonprofit 
organization uh, in support and solidarity with Occupy Wall Street. The assembly itself is a democratic process. It, we don't vote, but we obtain consensus to make sure that everyone that is on board are completely in agreement with everything we do, and we really try to make sure everyone is happy. OccupyTogether.org is a great place um, where that was a kind of a, a central location for different occupations that people were planning. But, you know, we really try to utilize uh, the information age and all of its wealth of, of distribution out there on the internet as much as possible. The Occupy protesters were obviously united in their discontent. However, the subject of their frustrations was a point of disagreement. A common criticism of the Occupy movement has been its lack of focus. I asked some of the protesters why they decided to participate in Occupy Raleigh. My name is Emily Battle. I'm from Raleigh, and I'm 28 years old. I haven't had a job in three years. I need to find one, and this is an opportunity to voice my complaints to whoever will listen. Very, very basically, uh, in fact, reserve banking is, is just a huge problem in the world today. Not just America. I mean, it's, it's killing all of us. It's a great tool for greed to come about. It's a great tool for manipulation. It's a great tool for sucking money, uh, sucking the value of the money that you and I have. There's just this general sense of frustration and anger that we've had this massive financial crisis in September 2008, and that trillions of dollars, literally trillions of dollars, were used to bail out Wall Street and commercial banks in the United States and investment banks in the United States and around the world. And we're being asked now to cut the budgets for our schools, cut the budgets for our police, cut the budgets for everything, cut budgets for Social Security, everything like that as a result. Why are we taxing the banks? Um, it's only when we have a fair election system that is not driven by bribery, otherwise known as lobby, that we will have economic justice. I feel like maybe if we could get our elected officials, we could free them up from having to raise funds because the, the first thing they do is start trying to get reelected. They spend 75% of their time raising funds to get reelected. And if we could change that system, then maybe they could focus on their work, which should be jobs and health care and the other problems that exist in our system. Though the movement is still coming to fruition, the protesters had general ideas of what they would consider a successful end. Something needs to change. You know, we need, uh, we have more love in the world. Something is fundamentally wrong with the way that we see things. A constitutional amendment that says that corporations exist because we, the people, create them. And if they no longer serve our purposes, we can kill them. For now, the Occupy Raleigh movement is young. Follow its daily reports and progress on OccupyRaleigh.org. For Eye on the Triangle, this has been Mason Morris. And that's it for our show this week. I want to thank all of our contributors, and I want to thank you, the listeners. Next week, we'll be back for more, with more stories and a special look at the NC State Fair. So if you have a question or comment, please give us a call at 860-0881 or 515-2400, or you can email us at publicaffairs at wknc.org. Until next week, I'm Chris Chaffee. Thanks for listening.